All righty, welcome to Musical Osmosis, where intelligent dissonant thought meets melodic euphonious reality. I am your musically magnanimous host, Nick the Saucy One Catsaurus, broadcasting to you as always from Meth Mountain, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my pro-cussively proficient co-host, calling in all the way from Charm City, Maryland, my pal, Odell. What's going on, man? Dude, I am Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right, happy tonight. <laughs> Which is hard to be in 2020. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but tonight is such a great episode. I made a list, and I think you remember this when I reached out to you like five years ago and said, were you interested in doing this podcast with me? I had a yeah. list of about a dozen people that were like on my talk to bucket list. And tonight we have one of those people. So yeah, about halfway yeah. there, maybe a little bit more than halfway there, right? I think but, it's a special thing. I think it's a really special thing. So, and it's a great honor to have Kurt on tonight. So uh, I'm really Hey, thanks for having me. Why did it take so long? <laughs> oh, dude, I've been trying to reach out to you through various platforms for years. Oh, I never knew I was that hard to get a hold of. Yeah, so finally <laughs> making the magic happen. I'll get you in here in one second. Right now, I want to get our producer in here who is pushing all of the disinfected buttons back there in her little hermetically sealed bubble. It is our beautiful, what was it, Mavulous? Mavulous producer. Mavulous. <laughs> That's me. Mavulous, darling. Um, and I'm I'm sitting over here with a new theme song in my head. You guys want to hear my new theme song? Hit me. Vote, 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 vote. Just vote. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. I'm Voting so excited. Is off the hook right now, man. Yes. At, at this time last year, not last year, but in um, last cycle, 2016, 76,000 yeah. people had voted. Right now, it's 8.2 million. Yeah, yeah. It's yep. unbelievable. Um, and, and, like, just hearing the stories, like, there was these women, I think, in Georgia the other day, and I came home from work, and and and, and Susan had the uh, a news on, and uh, there was like women out there holding their kids in the rain, like like now we will, they were like, we will stand out here for how long? We've been out here for four hours. We'll stand out here until we vote. I'm like, wow, you know, yes. so it's a pretty, pretty powerful thing to see. It's a very good vibe, especially for 2020. And and speaking yeah. of 2020 nightmares, since we've been on air last, we've lost Eddie Van Halen. What a gut yeah. punch. Yeah, that was a big mm-hmm. one. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. You know, it's one of those things I was at work and just rambling through some things. And all of a sudden, the little thing popped up on my feed. And I was like, whoa, OK. And then, you know, it's one of those things that I get up and I tell a coworker, and they're and they're just as floor, too. You know, uh, just like, oh, my gosh. You know, like, wow, I didn't know. You know, so, uh, yeah, that, definitely um, a, a big loss. Yeah, those feeds will get you every time, man. Maybe um, social media feeds should only be available like after 6 p.m. Yeah. Like from six to midnight. I think the world would collectively be a lot better if they only had access to social media six fucking hours a day. Right, right. Well, it was, it was, it's ironic you say that because one of my I had put something up about Jimmy Carter and um, I think it was celebrating his birthday or something. Something was going on with Jimmy Carter and the way I put it up, one of my friends sent me a note was like, man, you know, like, you know, I, the way you put posted it, I thought you know something bad had happened. And I was like, oh, you know, and it was actually something in in honor of him. And uh, and it was just to react because when you see those type of feeds pop up, you're just like, oh, no, I don't want to read this. I really don't Am I the only right one <laughs> who's obsessive and whenever they see a celebrity or somebody, especially we grew up with, has passed away, I immediately open it and search for the word COVID? 
I think that's just a normal thing now, too. I think, yeah. unfortunately, I think it is. It really is. Too many I, new I, realities I, to deal with. Definitely. All right. Hey, D, I want to get tonight's guest in here. But first, let us know who's coming up on the show. Um, only got a few more left this year. Big Halloween. Yes, yes we do. The Halloween show is the big in this year. We've got Crow Jane from Crow Jane coming on. Kelly Mayo from Skating Polly. Lyle Blackburn of Ghoultown. Bonnie Bloomgarden of Death Valley Girls. And our buddy Mormozine will be with us that evening as well. And then we've got a bonus Halloween episode because we're just that awesome about it. Uh, we're going to have Shaky Sue of Hell Freaks on. Um, and then we, we've just got a couple more towards the end of the year. And... Yeah. yeah, we're going to take a much-needed break for the holidays, yeah. but we're going to have a fun little panel show, Adele, with some of our friends again, and then do an end-of-the-year show. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's well-deserved. Uh, well <laughs> yes, recharge time. All right, is everyone ready? We're going to get tonight's guest in here. I guess that's a yes. All right, tonight's guest is a punk hardcore legend, a thrash metal icon, and a musical jaggernaut of raw energy, one of the pioneers of crossover and thrash metal from Pasadena, Napalm Division, and, of course, DRI, the original Dirty Rotten Imbecile, Kurt Brecht. Kurt, 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 welcome, welcome. Thank you, Nick. Yes, sir. It is such an honor to have you on here, man. Like I was saying um, in the intro part, I made a list of about a dozen people I wanted to get on this show five years ago, and um, right. you were one of those people on the list yeah. because DRI has just had such a resonating effect on my formative years. Oh, good. In a good way, I hope, yeah. And <laughs> I'd say 90% good, 10% yeah. not so good, but that's okay, right? Right. That's still winning. Let me tell you, um, I kind of want to start off with a story if you'll indulge me. So the last time I saw you guys live was in 2003, and it was actually the night I started dating my first wife, is why I remember the year. And this was in Virginia Beach. You guys were supposed to play this club called the Norva. And for some reason, last minute, they had shut it down at the Norva and moved you guys to a smaller venue called Hoopla, which was a mistake because the place was oversold. It was fucking wall-to-wall people. And I don't know if you remember this, but Spike was wearing a Gene Simmons mask. And some no, that asshole. Would been, uh, that would have been Harold. Oh, was it Harold? Yeah, yeah and somebody. <laughs> yeah, and someone was throwing beer on him, and he like launched off the stage with his fist and like clocked somebody in the head. The guy folded up like a bag of potato chips. <laughs> it was fucking crazy, and the crowd was going nuts. And I just that was like the first night I started dating my first wife. There was like six or seven of us there, and out of all that craziness, what I remember the most, and we were like in our early. 30s at the time and we were probably some of the older people in that club most of those people in that club were in their 20s and the thing that we walked out all of us we like we walked out the end drenched in sweat like gasping for air and i just looked at my friend pat and i was like where in the fuck did these dudes get the energy they're like 10 years (laughs) older than us and they played for like an hour and a half straight so i've got to ask like you guys are like fucking highlanders where do you get the energy uh just uh you know doing it every night i guess I don't know. That comes from the crowd, too. Sometimes it's not easy, you know. We've had a few shows, mostly outside, like during the day in France or something, where the sun's right on you in the middle of the summer. Oh. It's brutal. Oh, God. At the, at the, the Hellfest. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was glad. I was very glad we didn't have to play an hour and a half. It was like the worst 20 minutes of my life or something. You know what I mean? It was brutal. <laughs> but, but we made it through and, you know, collapsed right afterwards. But, um, 
usually inside. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. We're just able to do it. Try to have some fans blowing on you or something. I mean, your music's so kinetic and you can tell that you guys mm-hmm. are so into it. And another thing, and, um, Full disclosure, you're my second favorite lyricist. My first is Al Pissed. I, I'm a lyric guy. I gravitate more towards lyrics of songs than actual music of songs if I had to make a choice. And I always like mm-hmm. what I call lunch pail lyricists, just kind of straightforward cash and carry lyricists. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to know a little bit about your writing process because your lyrics are so eloquent in their simplicity. Like, I feel like everybody, it's yeah. working class, everybody can connect to your lyrics. Very straightforward right. and honest, yeah. Well, also, um, what about the, I mean, you said you like lyrics or whatever. What about the understandability of them in the song? Mm. Yeah, that too. I mean, that's a big part mm-hmm. of it. Your, your growl and your voice, the way that your inflection I mean, hasn't, like, doesn't really differ. You always know what you're getting. I mean, the yeah, whole package. It's all, about, it's all about trying to make it understandable, but at a very fast rate to enunciate all of that, you know, and um, and try to. Because, you know, I always thought, why write lyrics that you think are good? And, and uh, if nobody can understand it, I mean, of course, it's still pretty un- unintelligible. That's why we have lyric sheets and all that. But for the first time you listen to it or whatever, you're probably going to need that. And after a while, you might start being able to understand it. But, you know, like bands like the Angry Samoans and Adolescents and stuff. I like mm-hmm. those bands when we started and they were understandable lyrics, but still kind of funny but ser- some of them serious some of them funny and i don't know just kind of how how i continued on in that vein i'd say but yeah, and when you <laughs> write stuff tongue-in-cheek i think it's easier to get a message across than if you try to dilute it with just all these different types of metaphors and things and don't get me wrong i love like ronnie james dio but i right. the stuff i gravitate more isn't about rainbows and slaying dragons it's about real right. life stuff that i can relate to yeah we got some very simple, straightforward punk songs, you know, with few words in them, but we have some other longer, more intelligent lyrics in there also. Oh, yeah. Syringes in the Sandbox, just more off me- the top of meaningful. my head. Yeah, yeah Beneath sorry. the Wheel, I think, is another one that's just an incredibly written song and has different types of breaks and stuff in it, too, so for sure. Mm-hmm. But the whole product itself, it's like a freight train, like DRI, right. full steam ahead, no pun intended. It is just like a fucking freight train of music and lyrics. Yep. I guess you could say that. <laughs> Definitely some kind of grinding noise thing. <laughs> the machinery <laughs> of DRI. <laughs> Definitely. Hey, Kurt, I know um, I was uh, just reading up on you guys, and I and one thing that really stuck out, stuck out was, like, the fact that after one year of practicing, you guys, like, just packed up and went out to California and started this thing. What was, what was that time like for you guys? What was, what was it a, like an anxious time? Was it really exciting, nerve wracking? The first year of, of yeah. practicing or right after? Well, well right like after we, when you got, we, this, we weren't, yeah. we weren't re- we weren't really ready to play a show or we didn't think we were, we were just stuck in this practice mode for a year and practice six, mm-hmm. six nights a week. We were very dedicated and militaristic about it. We, you know, we all were, we lived at my, my brother and I lived at my, my parents' house, but Spike would drive from way across town. He had a regular job and he'd get off work and drive all the way there back, you know, six nights a week. 
Wow. We're super de- dedicated and constantly recording ourselves and listening back to it and, you know, having fun too at the same time. But we were mm-hmm. definitely writing songs. But I mean, we had a lot of songs, but very short <laughs> time is like 20 minutes or something. But, you know, 100 songs or something. It was crazy. <laughs> so we're like, we're not ready to play a show yet. And then eventually some friends of ours came over from the punk scene and the hardcore scene or whatever, because we were still going to shows at the time. And seeing okay. all the bands that we liked and stuff. So they came they came over and watched us, and they're like, oh, you guys are ready. And you're like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, yeah, you guys are ready. You need to book a show. And then, you know, we booked a gig, and then after that we could get on pretty much any show. I mean, any band that was coming through town and stuff, they'd ask us to be on it. And those early years are amazing, too. Just another DRI memory, because you guys are kind of so, like, woven into my DNA at this point, being, being a fan so long. We were over, again, at Pat Sheehan's, and he had some VHS of you guys. Maybe it was, like, Live from the Ritz or something. It was on Crossover, and we were right. young. And I remember us, I don't even think I had been to a show yet, except maybe, like, some shitty Van Halen concert or something, or Metallica concert Yeah, in well, the that's stadium. how we all started, yeah. You know, but um, I remember watching that and we were there was like, again, five or six of us sitting there. And we were mortified watching that show. and like, dude, we are never going to a punk show. This is insane. Like, that looks dangerous. <laughs> That's exactly what we were. Like, like, that looks violent and dangerous as shit. And we're used to it now. I mean, it's, uh, it's almost like if, if the show isn't violent, then it's just not that fun. And is it yeah. the same way now? Is it the same way now, even after all these years? Is it as 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 extreme or yeah, yeah, have you noticed yeah, a difference? Definitely. Okay. Yeah, we'll be bummed out if they have a barricade set up and you know the people can't get at us or at the stage and dive off and gotcha. stuff. And we'll encourage people to do it, you know, much to the dismay of the club usually, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah go ahead, dive off, break your neck or somebody else's. We don't care. We don't say that, but basically, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> when you say go ahead and stage dive, that's what you're saying. That's the underlying message. But but sure. you're also saying but you're also saying have the best time of your life up until now. Exactly. Possibly, maybe the best time ever. I mean, yeah, that like I said, that hoopla show, man. Here we are, what, seventeen years later, oh. and that's still ingrained in my memory. That was nuts. I'll never forget my first stage dive. What about you guys? Oh uh, no, I remember mine. Question. I remember mine. <laughs> yeah. Black it's black, all a blur. Mine. Yeah, it was a blur. That's exactly. I just got up there, was afraid to even look out in the audience or anything. You know, I'd never been up on a stage like that. Mm-hmm. I just got jumped off as quickly as I could. Well, look, I want to talk about <laughs> the early years here because there's a there's something I had. You know, I think any DRI fan knows where you guys got your name if they're a true fan. And for the people who don't know. Your dad came downstairs. You were having band practice, living at your parents' house, and he came downstairs. Well, there were no pissed. stairs, but there's no stairs, but just yeah, to our. Bedroom. Oh, in my mind, I pictured stairs. Okay, well, he comes into wherever you guys are rehearsing at, and he yeah. starts um, yelling at you guys, and then he insults you and says something along the line. You know, he's calling you names, and one of the things he called you were a bunch of dirty, rotten imbeciles, and that's where right. you got the name from. Us, right, he would call us all types of names and. But, you know, we were practicing in his house, in my bedroom. So eventually we did uh, soundproof the room, so he's, he was okay with it. But for a while there, it was touch and go, you know. He was wanting us to, to move out, I mean, or not practice there, or practice when he's not around. Well, you know, I heard that story a bunch of different times, and one of the things I haven't heard was the follow-up. Once you guys, like, you, you, you know, get, gathered some success, ended up on MTV, how did your dad, was your dad like, yeah, the, I named that band. Was he proud of it? Was he okay with you putting his voice in um, the Madman song? Like, how did he feel about the band once you guys were actually having a bit of success with it? 
he was happy about that. But, you know, he's like any guy, he's a little bit of a smart ass or whatever, you know. So when we told him, uh, you know, that he's on there and everything, he's like, where's my money? <laughs> where's my check? Right, right. That, that was about it. But, but they well, were happy cool. that we, I'm sure they were happy when we moved out. So were the neighbors. Because I asked one of the neighbors later, and she said, "Yes, we were." <laughs> In fact, I tried to sell her, uh, sell her our seven-inch record when it came out, and I saw her come out to her car like a housewife, you know. And she, and she said, uh, "She's like, no, thank you. I already know all the songs." And <laughs> well, what she needed to do was um, put her like on a thank you list or something, and she would have to buy it. Yeah, I guess I didn't think of that. My dad no. said it sounded like hell. Sounded like hell in that room. I bet, man. But I mean, just to be a part of that history. So, and I can imagine, like I said, after you guys were on MTV, he's like, I named that band. That's that comes from my insult. Yeah, he and my mom would wear. They travel a lot, and they would they would wear like DRI sweatshirts, you know, in the airports and stuff. And they said many times people would come up to them and go, Why are you wearing a DRI shirt? <laughs> it's an awesome shirt. But we're, what's the deal, you know? And oh, that's my son. He's in the band and everything. So yeah, they were enjoying the little celebrity that they had. Wow. And speaking cool. of and speaking of the um the DRI the the name the symbol like wh- like there's certain bands that I don't know I I, I think I I talked to Nick about this before like when you if you were to draw up a person in like the uniform there would be certain logos and emblems that would go on that on that uniform and DRI's logo as simple as it is is one of those that always like were, it, it doesn't even matter if you really knew the but you know that if I said to somebody that wasn't familiar with the band. I'm like, it's the it's the it's the stick running man. They're like, oh yeah, yeah. So who who yeah, came up so, with that logo? Yeah, my younger brother Eric, who was the drummer of DRI originally. We were mm-hmm. going to art school to get together, the Art Institute of Houston, at the time when uh, before and during when we first started the band, and that was one of our projects, something called signage. And you just okay. had to make a, a sign. I think I made like some kind of an anti-skateboarding sign or something like that. And his was uh, the anti-thrashing sign. So originally it had a the anti-sign going through it and mm-hmm. it had a mohawk. And then eventually wow. we took the mohawk off and just made it more generic and then took the anti-sign out. We, you know, we weren't smart enough to know that that was going to be a good logo. We we decided to use it on the back of the album as just as our record company logo, not the oh, band wow. logo. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. And I think somebody else eventually made a shirt for it. You know, people used to come to us and just give us shirts and, and say, you know, here, sell these or sell a few. And then if you can sell them, I'll make more for you, stuff like that, because we weren't really, we had no money and weren't really smart enough in merchandising yet. And um so yeah, somebody made some for us and they sold real quick. So then we started using that as our logo. Yeah, and it's so it iconic, the first one, man. Was the first one that was on the front. I can honestly say I don't think I've ever known anybody in my scene of people that I hang out with who didn't own a DRI shirt at some point in their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see them everywhere. People were telling me like, yeah, you could go. You're talking about Van Halen. You could go to a Van Halen concert. And there's gonna be one person there at least, you know, with the DRI shirt that you'll with pick DRI, out. Yeah. See them. You'll see them across the fucking way or something, you know, across the Coliseum. There's always somebody, yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So talking about those early years after dealing with it, how did that progression come to switch from just this straightforward, like, one minute, sometimes even 40, 30-second songs into what would be known as that crossover sound that came with crossover and was kind of solidified well, four of a kind? Right. 
Well, Spike and I were talking and everybody at that time, we were living in California and everybody's like, you guys are the fastest man in the world. You should uh, call the Guinness Book of World Records and all that. And I was like, you know, no, man. You know, we were talking about it one night. We're like, uh, we don't, we don't want to be known as just the fastest man in the world. And it was getting a little boring for us too, because every song was really fast and it was just all run together. And um, we knew we needed something in there. We had nursing home blues, you know, we could, I think we'd usually end with that though but we needed to start breaking it up with some slower stuff. And so we, that's when we started adding in some slower songs and stuff to make it more interesting for us and hopefully the crowd mm-hmm. as well. How do you feel like the crowd reacted during crossover and four of a kind when it started to be mixed more and more with like long haired t-shirt wearing metal heads when it was more, it started off as more of just a hardcore punk scene. Was that where a lot of that violence came from? That's exactly. That's where the violence came from. The crowds were larger and everything. But it was just super violent because those people weren't used to going to the same shows, you know, the ever. Mm. And um, the hard the the metalheads were coming out and everything, and they had been kind of afraid before, but and they probably still were. But you know, they were just getting attacked for no reason. Long-haired people, skinheads right. come out in force to beat people up and stuff. It took a few years before it kind of homogenized and got to where everybody, you know, where there's just fights here and there but nothing not just constant fighting it got really bad for us because we would have to stop constantly we'd have to stop and we'd warn the crowd you know if you quit you got to quit fighting or we're going to stop playing we're going to leave and wow. we'd start playing again the fights would start again we'd just be back and forth that was for a couple of years it was like that it seemed like so did that start to change like what around definition where those crowds started to blend in a little bit better together yeah yeah i'd say end of thrash zone and definition stuff like mm-hmm. around there and it's crazy, too, when you think about it, because really, even to this day, you're, you guys are considered iconic in both worlds, in the punk world and the metal world. And even though there was a lot of, like, it's so weird because usually if a band changes its sound or a genre, it'll lose all those original fans and it'll pick up a whole new fan base. But with you guys, right. you actually managed to keep punk and metal fans pretty equally. I mean, I'm sure you probably have more metal these days. But you've kept a lot of punk fans, even though your style kind of turned more metalish and became, I mean, that's, I guess, why they call it a crossover sound, because you truly crossed over. Right. Well, when we first came out with even dealing with it, we got backlash for being too metal and too clean and polished and all this. And then, which it just seemed crazy to me. Yeah. And uh, and then when crossover came out, it's like, oh, my God. I mean, we did have some punk purists that just said, you know, like, you're losing me forever. And people came up to me and not spit in my face or anything like in Europe, but just told me very seriously that, you know, fucked up and you lost us. And when you come whining back, we won't be there for you and all this stuff. I was just like, wow, we're at a fucking (laughs) sold out show or whatever. And it's like, okay, I guess we lost a fan, but he was still there. Maybe he liked it. Maybe that was before the show or something. I don't know. (laughs) We like, we still play all those old songs and everything. So yeah, I guess that was that that day's version of like burning your CDs on YouTube when you're outraged about a band <laughs> right now now they burn our shirt probably you know yeah burn a shirt well, in effigy it's amazing now that if you look at it though like what you guys did it's like a, a common thing now it's like so yeah people don't realize what it used to be like you know, I, you know like in mm-hmm. california it'd be we'd be on one side of the street in line going in at the on broadway or the mab you know to go see the dead kennedys or whatever and, and all the metal long-haired people would be on the other side of the street uh, going into the stone, you know, to go see Metallica or something like that. Everybody be wow. yelling at each other across the street, you know, maybe some bottles throwing and stuff. It was crazy. And they would have Jeez. never gone to the each other's show. 
And I remember right. my younger brother, Eric, he, he's the one that told me, he's like, oh, man, there's this band called Slayer. And I said, yeah, I've, I've heard the name. Somebody told me they liked us. And, you know, he's like, he goes, yeah, I went there. He goes there. They have long hair and everything, but people are stage diving and they play real fast. It's like, it's a whole new thing. You know, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's amazing. It's, so then I, that's kind of one first time that I heard about that, that they were what they were doing and that people were thrashing to it and stuff in a, in a metal venue. You know, and then we started playing metal venues. You know, before that, it was played where punk bands play uh, VFW halls and rented halls and right. pizza parlors and stuff like that. You know, little punk clubs. But then when they started letting us into the real nice places, they probably wish they never would have, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this is a me- heavy metal band. It'll be all right, you know. And then we came in there and people were plastering stickers all over the walls. <laughs> Okay. throwing bottles and it's like oh no you're not supposed to let them have bottles at the show you crazy mm-hmm. so much fucking history man so here we are almost 40 years later i mean did you ever imagine dri would be going this strong this many years later no it's hard to imagine something like that you just you see other bands doing it so i guess it's kind of in, in, in your imagination somewhere Mm-hmm. But, you know, we were actually contemplating one time, like, if, uh, you know, what, what are we going to do if we get too big? Like, or will we break up like minor threat? You know, it's like because they became too popular or something. <laughs> That's why I always figured why they broke up. Um, and we're like, yeah, well, at least we know we can break up if we want to. If we become too popular. It's funny that we would even think that. Yeah. And I mean, and another great thing is, too, man, you guys have such a following, such a dedicating following that you can go years and years without releasing an album. And and even people that are 20 years old today are still in love with albums you made 30 years ago. It's true. Who would have thunk it? We started back touring again in two, the end of 2009, I believe. And then we've been uh, touring, you know, uh, year after year after year since then, just stopping. We we did two tours this year and then we had to stop. But um, that was a that was a good run there. Yeah, know, for like sure. Nine, nine years. But this is something that Nick usually asks at the beginning of the show. When you guys had to stop, how, how are you guys handling the whole COVID situation? Um, how did that affect you guys? Well, being in a band, as long as we have, you, you, you have to learn how to manage your money because, you know, the getting's good for a little bit and then you're not touring and then, you know, you can't really rely on record sales so much anymore. Mm-hmm. So we've, you either learn how to save for the tough times or you <laughs> starve. So, yeah, I had a little bit of money saved up and I'm hanging in there. Hopefully awesome. we get back to uh, Spike. Spike's pretty much he books the shows, our guitar player. So he's pretty much um, just rescheduled everything for the the same times that we were supposed to do this year. For starting next year. Okay. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, yeah that for sure, out. man. Yeah. But I'm glad you guys are hanging in there. And you know, I was going to ask you, and I don't even know if this is feasible to think about the way everything is now. But your 40 year anniversary isn't that far off. Are you guys even thinking about anything for the big 40th anniversary? I don't. I, I haven't talked to Spike about it or anything. Okay. Yeah, it's got to be tough to even plan that far out nowadays. Yeah, it's crazy. But this year was supposed to be 2020 was just like almost like a huge vacation year tour. Like we started in Hawaii and then we went to we had that was two shows there, but we were there for like a week. <laughs> wow. And nice. Then, then, then we then we came home for a couple of weeks and we went to South America and traveled all around their plane. And we also had a lot of days off and everything. It was just really fun and relaxed and, uh, and very cool. But that was right when COVID was hitting and everything. We barely made it back before they started canceling all the flights. Right. So after that, we still had Europe after that. And I can't remember. Oh, Australia. We were supposed to go wow. to Australia next after 
Brazil, yeah. So it was like after Chile and Brazil and everything, it was it was uh, there and then Europe and and then we were just you know a few little tours in the U.S. and and I think Canada maybe too. It was just supposed to be a killer year. Yeah, but that's got to be a good. We'll do it next year. But every year has been a killer year like that. But that this one was you know especially spectacular just because of having Hawaii and Australia and South America and all that. Mm-hmm. Europe's pretty much a, a given nowadays for us. We try to go there once a year. Right. So big. I mean, we just do different areas. You know, one one year we might just do like Ireland and Scotland, England and and you know Sweden and stuff like that, and then another time go to Italy and Spain and France and just move around. You know, always do Germany, Netherlands, Belgium. We're real popular there. Seems like. So with all this downtime with COVID, let me ask you the question of questions. The question I'm sure you fucking get asked every time you do an interview. New Are album. You Oh, yes. Okay. Are you writing songs? New album. We're hungry for it. Everybody wants to hear it. Yeah, we, uh, no, we're not, I, I write songs all the time, uh, lyrics, but I, I'm not, you know, Spike and I haven't been talking about, wait, let's use this time to write an album or whatever. So it's just, you know, we've been touring solid for nine or 10 years. So 10 years. So it's now it's just, it's kind of nice to have a little break. Mm-hmm. I'm planting my fall, fall vegetable garden right now fixing things around the house and stuff, you know, and trying to save money and just chill here, locked down pretty much. Yeah, you're I can't one of those... imagine the energy level you're going to have when you get back out there after having oh to take gosh, this yeah. pause. You're going to be just yeah. going insane. The crowds are going to be going insane at any show. Right, because when we took four years off that time and we came back, grunge had kind of finished and thrash was becoming popular again. Mm-hmm. And, and we went out there and it was really good, you know, and, and uh, then it kind of leveled off. And then it started uh, recently in the last probably three years or whatever. It just seems to get better and better every year. Like we play mm-hmm. the same places, but it's a little bit better every time. I, I know because I sell the shirts and stuff so I can monitor basically like how we're doing merch wise, how many people are there, all that kind of stuff. And it's been getting better and better instead of instead of, you know, a little worse or a little worse. So I imagine that there will be some kind of a jump in attendance and everything, even though I'm not oh, yeah. complaining at all about how how it's been recently. It's been great. I mean, no complaints at all. It was rough in the late 90s. It was real rough. Yeah, I can imagine. Everybody. Yeah, for sure. Um, We're going to play a song from a wait. There's more. We're going to play against me. Is there anything you want to tell us about this song before we play it? Uh, it's just, you know, a song about, I guess, you know, paranoia. You feel like everybody's against you. Sometimes it seems like everybody in the band's against you, mm. even the road crew, you know, <laughs> everybody. That's what it's about. You're against me. Right on. All right, D. Let's hit it. And time is marked. 37. Everybody's still feeling good? Oh, I am. Yep. Kurt, you good? Oh, yeah. All right. <clears throat> In five, four, three. For fun! Stop. 
Yes, we are back. Man, let me tell you, I love DRI. DRI is one of those bands. And I think this is true, right? I can't imagine anybody can listen to you guys and not feel a burst of energy. Once again, it's the freight train coming down the track, man. DRI has such a great driving sound. Mm-hmm. So it's Thank just you. something that has really, um, I mean, I don't I don't ever imagine a time where my playlist didn't have some DRI in it. Let's talk <laughs> more about um, the change in the last 40 years. What do you think's changed more over the last 40 years? You being someone who kind of has your foot firmly planted in both communities. Do you feel like metal's kind of changed more or you feel like the punk scene has changed more? Hmm. That's tough. Uh, man, probably the metal scene. I mean, the punk, I think, wants to kind of just stay the same, mostly, don't they? Mm-hmm. I mean, and and metal is just kind of spread out over all kinds of different genres. Um, so I don't know. I don't follow all the different punk genres, but I think the metal probably spread out more. I think one thing weird for me and Odell, I think we've talked about this before. And the strange thing is I started out in metal and because of bands like you, Suicidal Tendencies, L7, that was a springboard for me to get into punk rock. That kind of bridged that gap for me. But one of the weird things when I was growing up, I remember the PMRC and how like churches would play like the dangers of metal videos in their churches and now it seems like the evangelical community is kind of okay with metal now. And it seems like a lot of my old metal friends, the guys who kind of just stayed in metal, have gotten a lot more conservative, where the guys I grew up with that were in the punk have kind of stayed with their same progressive political and cultural or societal outlooks. So I think that's been the weirdest change, is to see the kind right. of streak of conservatism and attitudes in the metal community, at least among guys my age. Right. Well, maybe the metalheads are working and have jobs and, you know, have become more conservative, wanting to keep their money. And and uh, and the punks are more probably still more like liberal socialist, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, give me a piece of the pie type thing. I don't know. That's just my if I if I had to try to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> it's just strange because I just remember how the church community was very anti metal I mean, Geraldo used to do specials and stuff. And now you see and, and just acceptance panic. overall. Satanic panic, yeah. thank you. That's what it was. Satanic yeah. panic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and now gosh. it's like bikers and people covered with tattoos and all that. It's like old ladies aren't afraid of them anymore and stuff. It's just everything's become cool, you know what I mean? It's like a friend of mine was telling me the other day, he said, you know, he's, he's like, I look like a biker. I'm all covered in tattoos and stuff. He's a scary looking guy. And some old lady's like, here, can you take a picture? You know, here's my camera. Take a picture of my husband and I, you know, <laughs> everything, everything's, everything's just, yeah, everything's a, a lot cooler now like that. I think tattoos yeah, I are, when are I started. everything is just more okay. Mm-hmm. I remember when I started hearing like ACDC and Twisted Sister on like truck commercials and it started getting more mainstream. And I was like, I wonder what all the old oh, yeah. like um, satanic panic people are saying now 20 years later that like this, the metal sound is like so much more mainstreamed. <laughs> it's just really bizarre to me. Yeah, it is. I think about that stuff, too. Ramones, right? They have commercials. Yeah. Commercials oh, my God. Too, yeah. So. That's another great it- point. Yeah, all of it. You hear it all, or or people pop up in movies now, or different things. I'm just like, oh, oh, okay. They're they're you know we've we've had (laughs) we've had some of our songs on um on video games. 
Yeah. And, but we, I don't think we've ever, we never got paid to have anything in a movie, but I did see a movie where somebody was getting off of a bus, like a city bus, and a mm. guy had a little boom box and it was playing DRI. I just happened to be watching. I was like, wait a minute, that's us. And it that was must have blown your mind. <laughs> it was only for a few seconds. Yeah. And then he got off the bus and it's gone and everything. So they probably don't have to pay you when it's only a few seconds like that. Wait, they have Do you that remember time. what song it was? <laughs> I think it was I Don't Need Society, but I'm not sure. Wow. Our logo's been in a few TV shows and stuff like that, movies. Oh, yeah. Yep. I mean, you're definitely in the fabric of society. I mean, it's a situation where right. it's not like you're going to disappear in, in 50 years. 50 years from now, kids will be rocking out to DRI holograms in their fucking bedroom while their parents are kicking on the walls telling them to turn it down. <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah, so your your legacy is insured, I'm sure. Um, I want to talk about Pasadena Napalm Division – because here's you're in two projects, and it always amazes me. It's very interesting to me when someone who has a very successful band gets in another band as well. How did this um, project start, and what are you getting out of PND creatively that you're not getting from DRI creatively, if anything? Okay, well, I can answer that easily. Um, when Spike <clears throat> couldn't tour anymore because he was ill, I all of a sudden had nothing to do because I was just used to, you know, for like the last 30 years or whatever it was, um, just always having tour, you know, a tour, an album to do or whatever. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, I can't go on tour anymore. So I was just kind of sitting around and then I started working. And then somebody uh, contacted me here in Houston and said, hey, you know, got a little project if you want to do it. The band called Dead Horse. And I already knew those guys because we'd played with them before. Right. DRI. And they said, we wanted to start this other band because they had broke up and they, they just, you know, they said, we just need a singer. And I, and I said, do you have any songs? And they said, we have one. And I'm like, all right, I'll come there and check it out, you know. And they all had the words and everything. And I sang it and it really clicked. You know, I liked it. Just it was very easy to do and sounded good and everything. And that was 100 Beers with a Zombie. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. So I said, I'm in, you know. And then so we got a rehearsal studio and we... Uh, they're not they weren't as dedicated as dri was because right. well maybe nobody is i don't know but that was the only <laughs> other band i've ever been in so i had nothing to compare it to except dri so right away i noticed some things you know that it wasn't quite as serious as dri and um but was that a good know, thing? eventually no but but eventually yeah. we got i realized i i just can't be such i i just can't expect everybody to be like like we were Right, uh, right, militant about rehearsing and you'd never miss and ever, not never be late and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But eventually, you know, I th I think that I did get them to to come more often and but we were more spread out as well and everything and it was it was kind of hard to practice. We didn't so we didn't rehearse as much. Um, we were older and had kids now and all that stuff, so it was you know it was right. a little bit harder. And it took us a few years to write those songs and get them recorded and everything. But we got a little record deal and got the album out and uh, we had a demo. It came out first. We were selling that and playing shows, and we have hats and shirts and all that stuff. You guys, um, yeah. were you pulling a lot of DRI fans at those shows, do you think? Was a lot of that audience yeah. DRI well, Dead, left? Dead, Dead, Horse is, Dead Horse is already hugely popular here in Houston. Gotcha. They're from here, so and they had broken up. So I would say, you know, maybe 50-50. I mean, all the Dead Horse and DRI fans, which they're probably like both bands, were super happy about it and everything. Well, we, then, then, De then Dead Horse got back together, though, um, with a different singer and because DRI started touring again. So I didn't have time really to play with them as much anymore 
So the, uh, okay. they, they started playing, and then we would book shows where they would headline, and then uh, P&D would uh, open. And it was just all we do is switch singers, the same fucking band. <laughs> and then, then, we, then we book, yeah, then later we'd book another show, you know, somewhere else, playing around in Texas mostly, then Louisiana, and we'd book them with uh, Pasadena and Apon Division headlining and, and Dead Horse opening, and we would just switch back and forth like that, and it was fine. We did that for a while, but now Dead Horse completely broke up. P and D's, yeah, we're not really playing anymore either. But we could. I mean, we have offers and all that stuff. It's just okay. One one guy lives in Austin. One's in San Antonio. Woo! We're we're real spread out and everything. So yeah, it's everybody's just that's a, not that's really. a hike. <laughs> all right. Well, let's do this. I want to play some speaking in tongues, and then we'll come back, answer a couple fan questions, and get you out of here. One of my favorites. Well, I was going to say one of my favorites. So let's go ahead and play it. <laughs>
righty, we have returned with Kurt Brecht. We're about to wrap this up, but first, as promised, I'm going to get to a couple fan questions that was left on my page. Um, before I get to the fan questions that were left, I got to ask my own little stupid idiot fanboy question, if you don't mind, Kurt. Go for it. All right, so <laughs> the first song on definition, I think it's the first song, Pay Into Play. This is a totally random question, but I always said if I talked to you, I was going to ask you this in my head. Um, it says you've lived in a van, which I'm sure you have, and I've lived in a tree. Did you really live in a tree? Yeah, I wrote a book about it, Notes from the Nest. What? Surprised you never heard of that. No, I haven't. I knew you had um, a couple books out, but I didn't know you yeah. wrote a book specifically about that. I have like four books out, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's about, it's it's a small chap book or whatever, just about um, when I was living in a tree for a while, our van we were living in the van, but then the van had to go to Spike's house to get fixed or something. So I didn't, I didn't have anywhere to live. So I was just kind of wandering around in Golden Gate Park, sleeping on park benches and stuff. And then I just, it was super dangerous. So, you know what I mean? It's like hard mm-hmm. to sleep when you're just lay, laying out there in the middle of where anybody could just come up and grab you. So eventually I climbed up in this tree and I found kind of a little natural nest and, and I started sleeping up there. <laughs> I think that's one of my favorites. Holy moly. <laughs> And how long did you sleep in a tree? How long did this did this last? Uh, probably just a few weeks. I got a job and then I started. Uh, I started, you know, maybe a month or something. I started uh, working a few hours a day or a few hours a week or whatever, and I made a little bit of money. And then I got a girlfriend, and then I guess she felt sorry for me. So eventually, I moved out out of the tree in with her. Moving on up. But one of the stories in the book was we when I was living in the tree, we had a show with Slayer. So down in Olympic Auditorium in L.A., so we drove down there. It's like six hours there. And then we drove. when we drove back, uh, it was in the middle of the night when they, I just said, drop me off, you know, in the park or whatever. It was just pitch black out there. And I'm just, yeah, right here's good. <laughs> <laughs> Ran across the field and scurried up in the tree, you know. And, uh, scurried and up in the tree. They dropped me off there. They just dropped me <laughs> off and drove away, and that was it. Odell, I'm assuming you're buying this book since you just sent as a reminder notes from the nest to me. Yeah, oh, good, luck yeah. Finding it. Oh, good luck oh. finding it. Good luck finding it. Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> That's your new project, now. Odell. Fine. I'm sure we could find it, though, digitally for, for pretty reasonable, I imagine. Digitally? No. No? Uh, no. Um, now I'm crying. I do have, I, I do have some, some for sale here uh, used, and I also have uh, my book on CD where I read it. So oh, if wow. that's what you're talking about, yes, I'd okay. sell those. All that's right. got to be an undertaking to read a whole book out loud. It's a small book. Well, gotcha, gotcha. All right, let's get to these last couple of questions. Mormozine, who is a guy um, who used to do a lot of punk filmography and put out scenes, he wants to know what's the best way for a retired punk rocker to support the scene if they don't go to shows anymore? Huh. Um, I don't know. Put out flyers and <laughs> print stuff, <laughs> give money to the bands or something like that, I guess. I don't know. I mean, so many people have supported us. You support the bands, you support the scene. And I, I guess supporting the clubs also, maybe provide a, a venue for people to play in or help them oh, in some other way. Yeah. If you don't want to go to the shows, uh, there's got to be ways to, uh, to just to financially help. Oh, that's or, a good uh, point, or, too. That's a good point, yeah. Or, or advertising or something like that that you could do to help help out. Yeah, and I mean, now more than ever, you have bands out here, what I call digitally singing for their supper, and I'm giving the bands all the time, buying um, songs off them or just giving to their Patreon and stuff like that. So there's always ways to support stuff out there, I think. And it's a lot more accessible today, too. Like when I wrote my first book, um, 
it was because we I was starving. I mean, we were touring, but we any little bit of money that we got, you know, back in the day had to go back into gasoline for the van and stuff like that, fixing it possibly and, you know, or to buy more shirts or stuff like that. So we weren't really getting a livable wage and we didn't, we were too stupid to know you could ask the clubs for food and stuff back then. So uh, once I had put my first book out, then I would sell that, you know, and then I would always have some money after that. I was never Mm -hmm. starving after the first book that I came out with. All right, let's see this last question. Mike Pruitt wants to know, this is kind of in the form of a question. I'd like to know if he sees difference in the way people are at their shows now compared to their shows from the 80s and 90s. We kind of touched on this. You said the crowds are just as aggressive as ever, right? Right. Well, there was that period where there was just fighting, you know, which we talked about in the 90s or late 80s. Sorry. Uh, late eighties. So it, yeah, so there was, it was normally aggressive. Then it was bad aggressive, you know, just people fighting. And then it got back to just good old thrashing and, and, uh, that kind of good aggression. I imagine that you so, have to have an older crowd now than you had in the eighties, right? There's a lot of people my age. Well, it depends. I mean, that. every now and then we, we try to play all ages shows whenever we can. Mm-hmm. And every now and then we, we don't. So sometimes, especially on the East coast and, you know, places philly and stuff like that pittsburgh or whatever we might play some shows where it's just a a, a, kind of a local bar that has gigs there you know and you can see the same band like agnostic front plays there sick of it all everybody's playing there but it's not all ages and it's just a bunch of older guys like us with their beers you know and not a lot they might knock each other around a little bit you know but it's definitely not like when there's a whole bunch of kids there and uh but we put you know we play chinese restaurants pizza parlors <laughs> all kinds of places anywhere anywhere that'll have an all ages gig you know where they let the kids in and get old family fun and everything there you go so does that vibe feel the same from kids today when i say kids i mean anybody from 16 up until mid-20s does that vibe feel the same today as it did in the 80s um the or is it pretty much kind of the same exact scene as far as the audiences at dri shows I mean, besides the the different lengths of hair and everything, I think it's pretty much the same <laughs> or better. Yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I got no complaints. And one other thing that a lot of people probably don't realize: have you have either, either one of you guys been in a band? Oh yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, well in the old days they had the hot lights, you know, they were like heat lamps. Yeah. And which is yeah. if, if you're in Van Halen and they're you know they're 100 feet above you, that's fine. But in a punk club, they're right on your fucking back. And yeah. it used to be making it way hotter on stage. <laughs> and now it's like glorious compared to and everybody has a, the LED lights, you know, that aren't hot at all. And it's just a really big difference that a lot of people uh, don't realize for the band, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Um, for the audience, they probably don't know notice the difference. But for me, I really notice <laughs> that That's it made funny. It really much harder in the old days. We played in the mid 90s. Odell, I think we were playing around the same time in different bands. And um, I don't remember the lights being... That's not oh, something that strikes my memory. Well, you were the drummer, oh. so you were further back. Yeah. Well, yeah, and the drummer, the drummer has it the worst sometimes. Yeah. They're up on that riser, and they're they're on your back just cooking. On you. the back, just cooking, and I had a bald head, so it was just like <laughs> on you. And um, yeah, yeah, I oh, I get it. <laughs> I've looked back and seen our drummer, yeah, and he's just steaming, you know, like steam just pouring off of him as he's cooking off his back, basically. It's more comfortable nowadays. Yeah. Playing. <laughs> I mean, you still got the heat pumping from the crowd and everything, you know, yeah, in, your, yep. in your face and all that. But at least it's not on your back. Exactly. Like to be. See, that's strange, Odell, because we've played the Metro together. We've played Coffee House, all those DC clubs. And that's just not something I really remember is the heat. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I did. <laughs> 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 yeah, 
Yeah, but like you said, you were back on the riser and the drummer yeah. and stuff. All right, well, let's wrap this up. Um, Kurt, I want to thank you so much, not just for calling yeah, in tonight, yeah. but for the memories. I mean, I'd be hard-pressed to think about a party that didn't have DRI playing in the mm-hmm. background or driving around just having fun and being stupid, and there wasn't a DRI tape in the cassette tape player like in the 80s and 90s. I mean, you have really provided the soundtrack to a lot of good memories for a lot of people. I know. People are coming up to me at shows all the time telling me that. you know, It's like, you saved my life, or you got me through high school, or you did this or that. It's like a rock and roll paramedic or something, you know, <laughs> without, without even, without even trying though, you know, it's like just, uh, making the music that you like. Yeah. And you're honest about it. And like I said, straightforward, man, it's always the way to reach people. Just be yourself, be straightforward, be like, Hey, this is what I have to say. And usually people will come along. So I think that's a great yeah. formula for success when it comes to any kind of, especially more underground type music. That's a great formula. Well, I wish we could talk all night. I haven't had anybody to talk to about music for, well, since March. <laughs> hey, you go on Facebook and put an opinion out there and get attacked by 6,000 people. <laughs> it's always uh, easy to start an argument there. All right, let's get you out of here. Um, Where can we find you online before you come out the door? To find me online? Like, what do yeah, you mean? All things DRI. Con- yeah, your websites and stuff. Oh, well, DRI, uh, www.dri1.com, the number one. That's uh, the Spike runs the website. He's got everything up there for the changages and the the venues and the dates and all that that we're doing right now. Somebody yeah, messaged me today. It's like, is it true you're playing in San Diego tonight? And I'm like, no, no, not true. Did they have the wrong year? <laughs> yeah, well, we were so we should have been there at this point, I guess. But you know, if uh, if they hadn't canceled it or postponed it. Gotcha. All righty, Kurt. I want to thank you again for calling in. This was definitely one of our highlights of 2020, man. Yes, thank you man. so thank much. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Nick and Odell. Yep. We'll Appreciate be in touch. It. D. All right. Take care. You too, Kurt. Thank you. Bye. All righty. We are out of here until Halloween. Odell, Ooh. this year, man, right? It's been. War, <laughs> Rat, Body Count, the bands we've had on this year. It's been yeah. crazy. That, like like we've talked about, you know, with all the craziness, this has been uh, like that silver lining and all of this is being able to, um, one, to realize that we're all in this together. We're all in the same predicament. And um, and to be able to, like Kurt said, be able to just talk about something that you love, it, it, it's, it's refreshing. You know, it takes your mind off of a lot of crazy stuff that's going on. Oh, I know a lot of people, I posted about this show a couple times over the last week or so, and I know a lot of people are excited to hear this. So when we get this show yeah. out this weekend, I'm sure people will be going bananas over it. Definitely, man. All righty, guys, we are out of here. We'll be back, like I said, for the Halloween show. So much good stuff coming. So everyone be safe out there, my little pandemic pals. <laughs>
Yeah.